This is Marianna Miller. My story probably isn't that uncommon in terms of the trauma that I went through, but hmm, I don't know if I want to say that. Let me back up. In 2009, I was bored. I was really frustrated with where I was at. I was a, an actor and I was kind of begging for work as a voice actor. I was working at Universal Studios several days a week as a performer in their haunted house as Frankenstein and like a Leatherface ripoff. And I was also working at Square Enix as a game master for their online game at the time, Final Fantasy XI. And for whatever reason, I felt very unsatisfied with where I was at because I have always had this like itch to travel. My dad was in the military during, uh, you know, post-World War II, he was a military police officer working at Checkpoint Charlie in Berlin before the wall had come down. And I had grown up with stories of him traveling all across Europe. And I was like, this is, you know, I have money, I have time. And I quit, I quit one of my jobs and I put the other two on hold. I ended up meeting a friend and we had this really amazing and intimidating and incredible trip that was supposed to be about three months and ended up being about six weeks. Mariana, like lots of American kids, went to Europe for some life experience and to see a bit of the world. But something happened to Mariana on her European trip, which really changed her on a core level. And Mariana, through therapy, has worked really hard to put herself back together again. And one of the tools in Mariana's toolbox was video games. We're gonna learn more about Mariana and what happened to her. If talk about sexual assault is a trigger for you, you may wanna consider skipping this episode. Welcome to Heavily Pixelated. Hey, I'm glad you're here. Pixelate, it's a show that attempts to describe all the positive things that games do for us. I'm Scott C. Jones. I grew up in the desert, kind of north of Los Angeles, the high desert, Victorville, Apple Valley, Hesperia. It was a kind of lonely place to grow up, especially when my parents moved for the first time when I was about 10 and we had to move because my father had sexual assault. Or no, I'm sorry. Let me back up. We had to move because kids had accused my father of inappropriate behavior at the school that he was teaching at. We moved to the middle of nowhere. Also, my parents are animal hoarders, so they wanted to, you know, have a bunch of animals and not really be judged for it. When you're out in the desert, like, there's really nothing to do except for drugs or be a nerd. <laughs> so I chose the nerd option. I spent a lot of summers laying in my living room listening to like Final Fantasy VIII soundtrack and pretending I was like Nobu Uematsu. And moving out to the middle of nowhere is really when like I fell headfirst into gaming. I joke the population is lower than the elevation of where I ended up moving to. I played a lot of Zelda um, during that time as well, Ocarina of Time. I really loved being able to ride horses. Like I was, you know, a 10 year old girl. I loved horses. So Epona was like, she was, she was my jam. 
it took me forever to beat the game just because I was like, I want to ride Gerudo Valley and just listen to the music. <laughs> but yeah. What I really enjoyed about gaming was the opportunity for interactivity, but also the depth of the storytelling. Because obviously when you get into, when you're talking about entertainment mediums, movies are short. So, you know, you got your quick digestible stories. TV shows are where you can get a little more involved, but video games are where like the world really comes alive because you have literally all the time in the world to get to know the characters, your surroundings, your past, everyone's past. Like that laundromat, you can figure out where it came from 200 years ago, who knows? I just love the opportunity that games presented. And obviously back then it was, you know, like Nintendo 64 and we only had so much capabilities, but I just thought it was so fascinating that I could participate and shape the world mm -hmm. how I saw fit, which coincidentally was always saving it. <laughs> the first time I ever played a video game system was a Super Nintendo. I went over to a friend's house and I played, I think it was Super Mario World. And I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And so I ended up going to school the next week and being like, money for the poor, so I could buy a fucking Super so, Nintendo. So, like, like you were asking your fellow students? For yes. Money? Teachers? <laughs> yes. Really? Somebody called my mom and was like, is everything okay? <laughs> Ariana's Super Nintendo campaign generated only about 25 cents. Surprisingly, going around and just asking for money was not a very like good way of doing things. <laughs> Games have just always been there. I'm a biological child, but my parents had trouble conceiving more than one child. So uh, essentially, um, they, they wanted to try and open their home to more kids. My mom is the kind of person who's like, I want to take the runt, you know? So unfortunately, in foster children, that kind of can translate to children with a lot of emotional behavioral issues. We got troubled children. A foster sibling of mine set my bedroom on fire and the entire like thing burned up from the inside. And then I ended up spending most of that summer playing Zelda in my rebuilt room. <laughs> Basically everything but the skeleton had been burned. We weren't told by foster care that my the boy who was with us at the time was a bit of a pyromaniac. He was sitting in the room playing with matches and then he hid them under his pillow. I guess the fire had not, like, you know, when a match, yeah. exactly, when a match is smoking and then you shove it under a pillow, well, phew. thankfully the room was at the far end of the house. So it was the only one that really got damaged. But even so, like through all that, you still have smoke damage. Yeah. You still have like carpet damage, computer damage, but it was still a very formative part of my life. When that happened, I sort of had this thing pop in my head, I th coping mechanism, you know, where yeah. I was like, I was like, oh, so clearly everybody, everybody must go through shitty things in their life. Mm -hmm. And this is just me getting fired, checked off of that list. Mm -hmm. So everybody has to survive a house fire. Like, that's what I decided. And I was like, so I'm just getting it out of the way. We had a foster sister as well. When she was 15 or 16, she decided that, well, it wasn't that she decided. She had some sort of disturbance and started hurting herself in her sleep. 
we think she might have been schizophrenic. The house where Mariana grew up was obviously not a safe place. During that time, video games were one of the only places where I could really hide and be like, these people, these people are normal. <laughs> I can like, I know what these people are thinking. I know how these people are gonna react. She would sometimes go for knives and like talk to herself in her sleep. You go to bed and you're not sure if everything's gonna be okay when you wake up. My mom and my sister were very much into horses and and I was when I was younger but as I grew older I became much more interested in staying inside and playing video games and my parents would always kind of call them obsessions which I have I have ADD and that's kind of a, a signature of ADD is kind of focusing on things video games have always been a nice escape for me just because it felt like something that I had some semblance of control over I was a genius child and yeah. I watched a, a DVD and I decided I want to be an actor so wow. when I was like nine. I wanted to swim in a pool of spaghetti with an old woman. That was yeah. my goal as an actress. I tried getting into auditions. I was buying like the backstage, my dad was buying me the backstage trade papers to like get auditions and stuff. I wasn't literally born six feet tall, but I've always been very tall. <laughs> and um, especially back in like the 90s, women and child female children had a very specific look that they needed and I did not fit that look. Right. <laughs> when I got older, I got more into anime and JRPGs and I was like, oh, I can voice act being a being in a pool of spaghetti with an old woman. <laughs> so that's where it ended up. And I've been working in voiceover ever since. I mean, I've had lots of jobs, like I worked as a delivery driver, yeah. I worked as a collector for a construction rental company, I worked at Universal Studios as a character, I was Frankenstein and like a Leatherface ripoff. I love, I love doing the scare acting. Wow. Yeah. And that I, is so cool. <laughs> surprisingly, Universal has stricter attendance guidelines than 911 operators. Their timesheets are really weird because it's always like, you got to come in at like 1024 right. or 1042. So I mixed those two up one time. And then of course, that's the day I get fired. But then since then, I've been working as like a, I work as a producer for my husband's channel. I was doing convention bookings for a while on behalf of other people. Right now I'm doing voiceover, um, script adaptation and proofing for live action and animated dubs. Is it your dream to maybe work on like a Bioware type game? Oh my God, I fucking love that. Oh, why can't we get you that, that kind of job? Like, right? Oh, yeah. Seriously, I'm not joking, like let's figure it out. Back then it was really like a stress release, you know, like it was an escape because obviously my real world was very intense and like the real, the ramifications of all that, I'm still kind of coming to terms with because I wasn't really aware of it, you know? I was always very just lost in these game worlds. And if I latched onto a game, I would do everything I could to find out what everything about it. I would love to write stories about the characters and stuff. You know, I'm definitely a fan fiction writer. <laughs> oh, so much. <laughs> I really loved exploring the possibilities of personalities. I would be like, what if Midna and Link met Phoenix Wright and Miles Edgeworth? You know what I mean? What would that look like? 
few years ago, Mariana admirably and insanely wrote a 300-page fan fiction novel. Most of the reason why I was so motivated to finish it was because um, I was working at a construction rental company and like, you know, you only have so many toilet contracts to enter in in a day yes. before you'll get bored. So I'd just open up WordPad because we didn't have the internet. And I'm like, Kurugana and Fi kissed a lot. <laughs> 300 pages of that. Oh, wow. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, let's, it, was, it had action, adventure, romance, everything. And then our conversation turns back to the subject of her father and the accusations against him by the kids who he taught in school. I mean, obviously these accusations are kind of a hot topic in the media right now because we're having a lot of people realize that unspoken boundaries are just as important as spoken boundaries. My dad has always hasn't had an issue with boundaries. I personally don't believe he ever like touched anyone inappropriately, but I do believe it's entirely possible that he told an inappropriate joke that he probably like patted someone inappropriately or acted in a friendlier manner than he should have okay. just because he can be kind of childish. Yeah. <laughs> this is a touchy subject for me, obviously. Um, I, I really wrestled with whether or not to include this, but it's part of Mariana's story. So I'm including it. I like Mariana a lot, but what I'm trying to do here mostly is I'm trying to understand what this situation looks like from the perspective of a daughter of a man who is accused of these things. I don't know what the truth is, but I feel sympathy for Mariana for being in, in a spot where she has to decide for herself what she believes. All I know is that one of them, the sheriff claimed that the girl, like her boyfriend was given a bad grade by my dad or something. And then the other one, I don't, no, because there were actually multiple. Yeah. Um, but essentially, my dad, after leaving that, because he was working with middle schoolers, we moved, and then he ended up, him and my mom ended up working at a correctional facility. We call each other and stuff like that, and yeah. I'm still, I'm still evaluating my relationship with them. It's hard to not have like a strong family backbone. I'm learning it usurps like how you interact with your friends and how you reach out to other people for support because yeah, cause like I'm like, well, I don't really talk to my mom about this. Why would I talk to Christina about yeah. this? You know, so. But I, I'm going to a lot of therapy and I'm learning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are, you, are, are you going to therapy? Yes, yeah. yeah. I've been going for uh, a couple of years now and I'm, I'm, I've started medicating in the last couple of years as well. I mean, I've known I've had PTSD for over a decade or at least since um, I was sexually assaulted. What I didn't realize was that I also had elements of PTSD from my childhood as well. The ADD turned into anxiety and depression because it was undiagnosed. A lot of other people my age are kind of realizing that when you get to your 30s, like that's kind of when everything falls apart. <laughs> when all of these coping mechanisms that you just sort of shoddily have pulled together just don't work anymore because yeah. you're not really being yourself because you're constantly trying to placate other people. I hated my job. I just felt stuck. My dad had been a member of the military. 
So I had grown up hearing these stories about Germany and Berlin and traveling across Europe and like my dad as a member of the military, like meeting people on trains and they'd be like, come spend the night at our house and we'll feed you dinner. You know, things that you did in the 70s before you knew serial killers were a thing. I spent all this time listening about Europe and Berlin and how gorgeous and old Europe was. I had never left the country and I really wanted to Tilly, come on. Ariana's dog enters the room and immediately investigates me. I I really wanted to experience that for myself. In the U.S., you know, this country is only 200 years old. It's reflected in our culture and it's reflected in the buildings around us and everything else. So I wanted to be somewhere where my surroundings felt like they had an understanding of time and that time passes and that everything will be okay. You know what I mean? There's always that baseline. And I wanted to tap into that baseline, the life stream. (laughs) So I quit my job at Square Enix and I took a leave of absence from Universal. And then I ended up, uh, I originally had planned like a a three month trip around Europe where we were gonna go backpacking and I had planned it out city by city. And uh, it was me and a roommate at the time, her name was Mari. She was sleeping on a mattress in the middle of my floor in my two-bedroom apartment, and I was the second, and then we had a third roommate. And the two of us, uh, Mari and I, were like, this sucks, let's just fucking go. Why are we here? We can replace our jobs. How long are we gonna be in our 20s, our early 20s, and have the opportunity to do this? Paid off my credit card as much as I could, and I hopped over to London and uh, checked out like Canterbury, and I did a little thing by myself and then I met up with my friend in uh, Dusseldorf where we stayed. We went and visited a cousin of mine up in Lübeck and um, and then we headed down to Italy and it was just so amazing because you know you you really it's impactful when you go especially into Germany like I love Germany. Germany is one of my favorite places in the world. The history of the the country is so tragic obviously because like World War II World War One devastated them, and World War Two happened because of that devastation. To see a country like continually apologize is very humbling. Like you'll go and they have monuments everywhere. And um, we went to Nuremberg a few years ago, and they had one of the cathedrals there where there was like a little card up, and I remember reading it. It said in English, like the scars of the Nazis remain. It was basically like, this is what the church looked like after it was bombed. Somebody had whited out the word Nazis, and then somebody else had written it back in with pen. Mm -hmm. That it was, that word is so powerful that it simultaneously can and cannot exist. Mm -hmm. I thought that was very moving. Going to Europe, like, I started, I did some drinking, which I've not really, I wasn't really much of a drinker. And like, um, I went to these ba- parties and I went out to bars. I've been an ex- extroverted person, mm-hmm. but I've always been kind of to myself and nervous, if that makes sense, yeah. simultaneously. It was a very rewarding experience because I was having a lot of new things happening. 
And then we were doing this thing called Couchsurfing, which there was a website. And I had already done it in London uh, with the family and it had ended pretty well. And then we stayed with a guy for like 10 days in Dusseldorf and my friend got laid, so good for her. And uh, uh, This was like a precursor to Airbnb. Yeah, actually. It was, and like, it was a thing where you could go and everyone had sort of their own profile. And they were like, this is like what our, our space is like. This is where we're located. We ended up finding a person to surf on their couch in Florence. And we were excited because Florence was kind of central for like Venice and uh, Siena and Pisa. Yes. And yeah, so like you can hop the train and get pretty much anywhere there. We, we were having a great time and the, the people who were staying or we were staying with the guys seemed pretty okay. But on the last night we were there, the guy who was our host was like, let's go out to a samba bar. And we were like, okay. So uh, we go out and I've not really drunk very much at this, at this point in my life. So I don't know if anyone slipped me anything. I was trying to be vigilant, mm -hmm. but I also didn't know what my tolerance was. This was in 2009, June 2009. I was uh, 23, somewhere around there, 22. And I didn't really know my tolerance, so we had some drinks and me and my friends were dancing and like, well, my friend and I were dancing and then the, the one guy kept like trying to come on to me. And then he pulled me outside and he was trying to kiss me and stuff. And I remember being so out of it that I was like, no, 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 no. And somebody came up and talked to me, a man. But he was speaking in Italian and I couldn't understand him. And I was scared. So I was like, I was scared of him, I was scared of this guy, and I'm just sort of sitting here like, what? This guy shoes this guy off and says, I told him you're my wife. And then he tried kissing me and I pushed him away again. And I went back inside. And of course now, now that I look back, I'm like, oh, he was probably trying to check and make sure I was okay. But I don't know. <laughs> so I go back inside and I told my friend, I was like, he tried to kiss me. And she said, so? And I said, and unfortunately at the time I was a virgin and my friends were very invested in getting me laid, apparently, regardless of whether or not I was interested in it at the time. So I was like, I want to go, I want to go back. I don't feel comfortable. So we leave and the guy who I had refused was obviously very pouty. He was hanging back behind us like 10 feet, not talking to us. Me, my friend, and then his uh, roommate, we were hanging out in the kitchen for a few hours and talking. He only spoke Portuguese and my friend spoke a smattering of Portuguese. Mm -hmm. Uh, so she would, we'd like be speaking in half sentences to each other while completely shit-faced in the kitchen. And then I, uh, he was like, okay, duerme, duerme. And I was like, I know that one. <laughs> That's sleep, I took Spanish. So, uh, so he goes back to bed and Mari's like, okay, I'll join you in a minute to me. So I go, I lay down, I pass out and she never came. She went to go be in bed with the other guy, which good for her, I guess. Unfortunately, that left me alone in the room with him. And I woke up to him penetrating me. And I was not happy. And uh, it was so strange because I remember him telling me a story about how he accidentally killed like a gibbon because he was from Brazil originally. 
as he was like trying to ask me to forgive him, he was like, I would never hurt a fly, I don't hurt anyone. And I think honestly, he was trying to like make, make himself feel better. So he was like, I would never hurt anyone except that gibbon. But anyway, and he kept like putting his hand on my back. And I just remember smelling, it smelled so bad. Like there's a specific smell. And I remember I had eye makeup on my hand and I would keep looking at it, trying like, cause I, I was like, my hand looks so dirty. I'm dirty. He was like, I'm too, I can't sleep, I'm too upset. And then he fell asleep with his hand pressed into my back. And then eventually I moved out of bed. I got down on the floor. I cried for a bit. I wish my mom was there. It's funny because I've never had that close of a relationship with my mom to where I've been like, I miss my mommy, you know, but in those moments, you're just like, what else do I wish for, you know? So, but yeah, it got to be around 6.30 in the morning and I decided that I had waited long enough and because I, I was waiting it out, I didn't want to make a big deal out of it. So I got up, I took a shower, and then I went into the other room and all I said was, we have to go. And my friend said, okay, she didn't argue with me and we left right away. And we went to the train station and I told her what happened. I said, he tried to rape me and she said, well, it sounds like he did. And I was like, yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> so, uh, so after a long conversation, she ended up convincing me to report it. And I was like, okay. But I didn't want to do it there, I just wanted to leave. So we got on a train, we went to Venice. We went to the police first and, uh, and we were like, we need to report a, a rape. And the woman didn't speak very good English. And so it came down to my friend pantomiming sex with her hand in order for the police officer to understand like what we were saying. The Italian woman in the police station eventually understood Mariana's friend, Mari. She was like, you gotta go to the hospital, you gotta report it. So then we tried finding our way to the hospital. We found our way there after dark. And I was like sitting in the fucking waiting room and we were trying to explain to them that I had been raped, but they didn't know the word rape. And my friend didn't want to do the crudeness of the gesture again, cause I was like, I had pointed it out I'm the kind of person who's just like, I laugh because I don't want to cry. And I was like, I can't believe we had to fucking like pantomime fucking, you know? So she didn't want to do that again. But then it led to her being like, she's been raped. And then the person behind the counter was like, rape. And then they were like, what is rape? Rape, I don't know. Do you know what rape is? Rape, 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 rape. And the entire waiting room was saying the word rape. And this guy got up in the corner and like I was sitting and I was just crying and this guy got up and went up to the desk and explained what it was and it was violenza sexuale or something like that. And so they ended up doing a, a rape kit. And I remember how fucking bewildered they were that I didn't have insurance. Not that they were charging me for it at the time, it was a free kit, but it was still like, it was just more stress on top of everything else and over there they don't actually have like robes for modesty or anything and i'd never gotten like a gynecologist 
any sort of like yeah. gyno work done or anything. So lots of first experiences and my friend was in the room with me. So, you know, I'm sitting there ass, half ass naked in front of my friend getting my vagina poked at by somebody I don't know. We were going to report to the police, but by the time it was done, it was like 10 or 11 o'clock at night and the cabs were gone. Everything was quiet except for, you know, the guys who were catcalling at the docks. Mm -hmm. And we, of course, are trying to like dart away from them and make our way through the city we've never really been to before to find our way back to the train station. There are no more trains, so we ended up taking a cab back to the campground where we were staying. We ended up booking flights out to Scotland the next day because my friend had family out there. And they were very generous to let me stay with them, but it was it was so weird because I I've always been a very bright and bubbly and uh, energetic person. Um, and, you know, ADD and trauma will do that. When you when you're when you're raped, you're personally negated like in every way possible. Like you're not a person anymore, you're just an object. I had already spent a lot of my time growing up feeling like I was never good enough. When that happened, it was like everything shattered and there was nothing left. And I was just sitting there being like, who is Mariana? What is Mariana? What would she do in this situation? How would she react? The way I would interact with people was very delayed because it would take me a few seconds to be able to process how I should respond mm -hmm. as opposed to how I wanted to respond, which was not at all. Mariana and Mari left Italy behind. They went to Scotland where Mari had some members of her extended family. And there in this still foreign but much safer place, Mariana tried to pull herself together. I really wanted to get my my toenails painted. I had never gotten a pedicure before, and I was like, I've been walking around in Europe in flip flops. Yeah, okay. so um, so they found like a little nail salon down the street for me to get my feet done. Cause did you do it? Yeah, I did. Cause you know when you're walking around, like my my ankles were so swollen. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to feel human. Nice. <laughs> And that was like my first attempt at being human. What was the color? Do you remember the color? Was it just red? Or? I think it was like a pink, like a light pink, yeah. yeah. They didn't have time to do flowers, but I really wanted to do flowers. Oh, yeah, you wanted yeah. something more ornate? Yes, yeah. I just wanted to treat yourself, yeah. as they say. Mariana is an imposing figure. She is six feet tall. She has a quick wit and she's incredibly smart and she seems so funny and she seems so safe and bulletproof and nothing seems to get to her and then suddenly it all collapses and you realize it's just a front and that she's actually raw and real and vulnerable Yeah, that's kind of how this sort of stuff goes, you know, like, well, like with Robin Williams and, and people like a lot of times the people who laugh the most are the people who hurt the most. Yeah, That's just the way that I've chosen to engage with the world because it's not, it's exhausting to cry. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I try and engage things in a more, I at least try to get angry, mm -hmm. but getting angry is also kind of destructive. 
now I guess I'm going for the more sensitive side. <laughs> Are you okay? Yes, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm fine. Thank you for sharing that. No worries. Okay. I mean, I... really I, appreciate you sharing I, I've been sharing it as much as I can with my limited platform for a while, and a lot of women have come up to me and told me that it's been very helpful to hear to hear something like this happening to someone and then hearing their, that they can bounce back. And I want to let everybody know that you can bounce back. You're not going to be the same. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, really, even if I wasn't raped, I wouldn't be the same. You know, we all change. I mean, in a way, it's it's terrible. But at the same time, you know, like my friend and I will say a lot. Mariana's friend has been in the room with us throughout the whole conversation. She came over to make Mariana feel safe with me. We sometimes will meet people with good families and good backgrounds and they'll be wonderful people. But when it comes to difficult times in their lives, they just aren't equipped to deal with them. And I feel as though at least I have an arsenal to ready to work with. <laughs> yes. Uh, good for you for, for amassing your arsenal. You know, what else can you do? <laughs> you gotta be ready, right? Yeah, exactly. You, know what's up ahead. you have a conscious decision after something happens where you can either be upset about it and be in denial about it, or you can plant your feet down and try and do something about it. Yes. And I'm definitely in the latter camp. <laughs> like, when did you feel more like yourself again? Dragon Age. Yes. Yeah. really it. Yeah. <laughs> After I came back, I cut the the trip short, about six weeks. I bought a plane ticket direct. I went home and I stayed there for about a month and I was just kind of dead, you know, like just spending a lot of time on the couch, not really doing anything. And I was like, something's wrong and I think I need to talk to somebody. We had gone to report it to the Scottish authorities, and then at a certain point, they uh, called me and told me that I would need to re-report with the American authorities. So I did, and I did the whole process again. Did you have to be examined again? Oh, come on. Yeah, a second rape kit was performed in all its invasive glory, even though it had been a month since the incident occurred. I wanted to go along with it because I didn't want to feel as though they had an excuse not to prosecute. I did get a picture from the police over email when they had picked him up. I got a mugshot. I don't know whether he was like deported. I don't know anything. I told them I was willing to come back. I was in in contact with the consulate at um, in Italy, and I was like, uh, you know, if you need me for a trial or whatever, I can come back if necessary. But that. I never heard anything. I started talking to a therapist. The police put me in contact with a woman who was part of a psychological program, a therapy program. And I went in for, I wanna say like three months or so. One thing that really helped was writing and projecting onto these characters. And so I projected a lot onto one of them from the fan fiction that I wrote earlier. His background was like he was kind of trapped in this place with no walls and this dirty uh, this dirty pit and then he suddenly became able to use magic and was like pulled out by this anyway it doesn't matter I related Did you feel to like you were in, in a place with no walls and that was a dirty pit like in some ways like you oh yeah felt corrupted oh yeah from this experience for sure yeah even growing up I felt that way just yeah. because um, 
my parents had like I think 12 dogs and they would also discipline me by removing my door and what I don't think they realized was that the dogs would come in and pee on my stuff. When you have that many dogs, you can't keep track of all of their needs. I never really felt like I had my own space, my own whatever, and never had control over the environment. Maybe I'm overreacting a little bit here, but this door removal, it sounds incredibly cruel to me. When um, words didn't work, when spanking didn't work, when belts didn't work, the door was really all they had left. I don't understand it either. Now I'm like, oh, well, I had ADD. If you were medicating me, maybe I would have responded better to discipline. My mom's new motto is uh, parents are people. We're just doing our best, you know. I mean, that's kind of the heartbreak of real life is you can't take back the things that you've done. All of this happened very quickly. I, I was raped in June 2009, and I think Dragon Age came out in like October or November of later that year. Yeah. During that time, I was going to therapy. I was writing a lot, projecting onto characters. Mm -hmm. And um, just because when you have something to project onto, it feels like you have a safer way of expressing those emotions mm -hmm. because it's not you, it's them. A friend of mine, KG Tang, he uh, ha was really into Dragon Age and Bioware because he loved Knights of the Old Republic. The first game I ever played by Bioware was Dragon Age Origins. KG came out and he was like, Mariana, you gotta play this game. It's this huge RPG game and you love RPGs. And I'm like, mm, I'm not really big into fantasy though. And he's like, oh, but there's this guy named Alistair and he's cool and I think you'd like him a lot. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't know. I just... I was skeptical. Yeah. yeah. And then he was like, but there's dwarven prostitutes. And I was like, sign me up. Okay. <laughs> Alistair is like a cheeky British sort of Joss Whedon-y character. He knew that I liked bantery, suave, charismatic men, because who doesn't? Here's Alistair in Dragon Age Origins teasing a bully. Should I have asked her to write a note? Tell her I will not be harassed in this manner. Yes, I was harassing you by delivering a message. Your glibness does you no credit. Here I thought we were getting along so well. I was even going to name one of my children after you. The grumpy one. The first time I had played through was on his computer because mm -hmm. um, I was actually staying on his couch. You're cute when you get all irritable, you know that. You get this little knot right between your... Oh, never mind. Let's see, I was in the Chantry before. I trained for many years to become a Templar, in fact. That's where I learned most of my skills. It's your wedding day, and you and your husband are both taken in by... He's killed either way. Mm -hmm. Spoilers. You end up getting taken in by the Arl of Denerim, who's like a fucking brat on your wedding day. He ruins everything. And then he rapes one of your friends. And I was like, oh, God. And that's kind of when I became aware that sexual assault is in a lot of media. I sort of like latched onto that because I was like, well, if my friend got raped, then fuck that guy. And then uh, so I just got really angry. I really fell in love with Alistair because <laughs> he was so charming. I was like, KG, I want to have my own because I love this game. I want to play it yep. all the time and I don't want to steal your computer. We're so I bought it for the, the Xbox light, 360 Is there a price and I played it in his living room while he played it in his bedroom. <laughs> and I started a Human Noble playthrough that time because I heard you can marry Alistair that way. And I was like, okay, well, fuck, I want to be queen, you know? Never, never what? Had a good pair of shoes? There was something about him that was so authentic. Mm -hmm. Have I never seen a basilisk? Ate jellied ham? 
Have I never licked a lamppost in winter? I actually watched like the whole romance playthrough hey, last night you, and like the, his voiceover especially is just so, well, so genuine and so cute. Have you ever licked a lamppost in winter? When you're like, oh, tell me about your childhood. And he was like, I was raised by a pack of dogs. Oh, so that's what we're talking about. Or you're like, oh, he's telling you something boring and you're like, oh, that's cool. And he's like, oh, if you think that's cool, I've, I've got some molds to show you later. Like, you know, it's just stupid <laughs> that's shit. That's for sure. I myself never had the pleasure. When you have a conversation with him where essentially he's a Templar, they're sort of like a religious organization in this world. They work with the Chantry to sort of like oppress mages. Since it's a religious organization, you're not supposed to have sex, you're supposed to be chaste. So he's virgin. And uh, that was something else that I kind of latched on to because at the time I was a virgin right. and like he actually takes sex um, very seriously. If you pr proposition him before he's ready, he'll actually like, you know, be like, I am not comfortable with this. You know, I, I feel stupid turning down a beautiful woman, but also, and I'm like, ah, pure of heart, you know, like, <laughs> I just loved him. And like, when you're flirting with him and you're like, so have you never had sex? Or I mean, there's a question where you literally are like, so have you never dot, dot, dot? And he's like, never what? Never done this, never done that. Never licked a lamppost in winter. And you're like, no, you know, like have sex. And he's like, oh, so we're just gonna say it then, okay. Well, what about you, lady? Have you ever licked a lamppost in winter? <laughs> <laughs> and that's when I was gone, <laughs> was when he asked me if I licked a lamppost in winter. And David Gator, like, he's a fantastic writer, and yeah. he wrote, I believe he wrote Alistair. In many ways, it felt like I was getting an opportunity to express myself, not only, like, in a situation where I didn't have to fear repercussion or danger, mm -hmm. but also, like, I could undo mistakes. There's that meme floating around where it's like, video games cause violence, but I reset the game when I say a bad dialogue option and make an NPC sad, you know? <laughs> I'd fucking do that. Because there are some responses that you can't tell are sarcastic yeah. until you actually click them. Right. Because uh, it's a text game. Yes. Um, so, so true. Yeah, so it's like, you know, you'd be like, I'm just trying to mess around with you, Alistair. Haha, <laughs> jab, jab. And they'll be like, oh, my feelings are hurt. And I'd be like, no! Oh, hit the reset! <laughs> like... <laughs> There are real emotional investments in these games and like yes. I really enjoyed not having the risk of because you know when you're assaulted a lot of the questions that go through your mind are like did I deserve this? Did I do something that like because you know I, I'm fucking weird as fuck I'm awkward like but the nice thing is that if you do something that goes against your intentions in video games it can be undone and that was very comforting to me. The thing that I really liked about Alistair was that the shared experience that you had between the two of you because um, the two of you are, are brand new Grey Wardens. He's only been it for like six months and she just joined yesterday. All of a sudden all the Grey Wardens are wiped out and you're the only two left and like his father figure's dead, everything you know is gone. Being able to share something deeply tragic with Alistair and seeing him react emotionally to what was happening was also very comforting. I just loved feeling like I had friends that I could say anything to. 
but in the origins like one of my favorite things to do at like two in the morning was to turn on the xbox 360 mm-hmm. and just like watch them talk to me you know because their voices were very comforting and i liked hearing liliana's stories and i liked like you know telling perverted jokes with Gwen about alistair and i liked trying to figure out how to make morgan happy <laughs> you know like and oh, sten sten was like my boy the moment at the end where you're in denerum and you're preparing for this final approach and like um all of your friends are there and you get to customize who's with you in those final minutes and like who stays behind and you get to have those little last seconds of like okay here we go hope we don't die Mm -hmm. you know like i think that my love of those characters made those moments of victory feel that much sweeter that's always been like my my favorite part of video games is just getting to know like the different characters that people decide to write i think the team at bioware did a really amazing job the the more i'm living and the more i face disappointment and heartache and all this other shit the thing that becomes apparent over and over again is that human connection is more important than anything else and games really facilitate that connection. Hello. David. David. Hi. Hi. This is David Gator, lead writer of Dragon Age. Well, hi, David. First of all. (laughs) Hi. Um, second of all, uh, I just, this might be a little awkward, uh, so I apologize in advance. I know this might seem like it's coming out of nowhere. I had grown up on these stories of my dad going to Germany and he was a military police officer. Like Europe was this really romantic place that I had never been to and always wanted to go to. So I quit my jobs and I left the country and I went on this adventure with my roommate um, for, it was supposed to be three months, but uh, six weeks in, I actually ended up getting um, assaulted. Um, Yeah, I was sexually assaulted. And um, I cut my trip short. And I came home and I got therapy and I was trying to work through this. And around November, a friend of mine, I was staying on his couch. He comes into the room and he's like, Mariana, you should play this game called Dragon Age. It just came out. And I'm like, really? Because I think the, the attack happened in June and uh, obviously Dragon Age just came out uh, in November. He was like, you know, you should play this game. It's really awesome. It's like an RPG. And I'm like, mm, I don't know. I'm not into the fantasy stuff. And he's like, it's got this guy called Alistair. I think you'll really like it. <laughs> and I was like, mm, I don't know. And he's like, it's got transsexual prostitutes that you can have sex with. And I was like, sold. (laughs) (laughs) So I started playing this game and um, I started talking to Alistair and like, there was just this sincerity about the way he was written and the way he was voiced that really spoke to me. And like, you know, because of what happened, it was very difficult for me to trust the intentions of men because trauma does that. It simplifies everything. I just remember like playing this game for hours and talking to the characters for hours and being like, well, you know, men were involved in this and there's heart in what's being said and what was put into this game. So, you know, all men can't be that bad. Hashtag not all men, right? (laughs) (laughs) So I, I started dating and I started, you know, like because of that game, I started kind of getting a checklist of things that I wanted in a partner and like, um, because of the con- the the depth of the conversations, like it felt like I truly had like a safe space to sort of experiment with different responses. Where if I didn't get the one I wanted, I could reset and try again. 
and right. then you know to get the best outcome possible and to repair those friendships or whatever and you know long term it's not the most healthy thing but it right. got me it connected me with humans at a time when i didn't really feel like i had any humans to connect to so i just really wanted to first of all share my story with you and tell you how much like your writing meant to me personally and i'm sure there are so many others that it's touched in a similar way but i also wanted to like scott and i wanted to kind of talk about the process of making dragon age and like cuz i know it was really a labor of love and it was sort of a hodgepodge development cycle so yeah, like yeah. i was wondering were you part of the process like the whole time or yeah, I was um Dragon Age took about 6 years to make and there was an initial uh year-long process where there was only a handful of us that were brought onto the team. Um I was brought on by James Olin to create the world. Yeah, I was I was in there from the beginning. Did you work with Fenris at all? Yeah, I wrote Fenris. Oh my god. See, this is what I'm talking. You just write all the best characters. <laughs> <laughs> well, whenever I start a character, I always start with what what is at at, at their core, right? What mm. What uh, am I trying to speak to? I, I prefer mm. not to write a character that's just, the, you know, talking about this happened to me in my life and this is what I'm doing and it's all very matter of fact. Dragon Age Origins was the first game I was lead writer on. Uh, before that, I was one of wow. the writers slash narrative designers. The first time I had sort of a chance to be a lead was on uh, one of the Never Tonight's expansions. It was called Hordes of the Underdark. You know, it was, it was all fun back then. Ten years later... I think I've told all the stories about demons and mages and, and Templars that I can for now. Mm. So I was like, I think I'm ready to move on. But, you know, I, I want to try something of my own. So um, I left. And uh, more recently, I met up with a friend in Australia and we started a, our own studio together called Summerfall Studios. And I am now um, creative director on, a, on an adventure musical. That's, that's hey. what we call it. <laughs> Who do you think of from, from the Dragon Age series? Is there a character that really is close to your heart? I mean, they all are to an extent. Uh, Alistair was uh, a big hit, and that was, that was, that was funny. I mean, uh, he was uh, one of my cases where I could go, see, I told you. He was a, uh, James, originally, James Olin, my, uh, the boss originally on, on uh, Dragon Age Origins. Um, he wanted Alistair to be sort of an older grizzled veteran who didn't trust the player. And I'm like, mm. I wrote a little bit of that. And I'm like, James, I don't think this is working out. Could I do something a little lighter and funner with him? He was very popular. Everybody, everybody loved him. He was the kind of one that, even if you weren't romancing him, all the, all the guys really found him like he was a good bud. I'm not saying Dragon Age like saved my life and changed the course and it was the only thing and the only reason why all of this stuff happened, but I'm at a point now where, you know, I produce stuff for my husband's YouTube channel. I'm a voice actress um, and I, I am also a trained singer and I, I had the courage to pursue a lot of things that I normally wouldn't have even tried just because I felt as though I had someone in my corner. And, you know, I, I had a very tough childhood and um, I was bullied a lot. And when you're, you know, when you have a life like that, it's hard to feel like anyone cares. And Alistair felt like he cared, you know, it, I know that, yeah, I know that it might, that video games is a very isolating thing to make, you know, they're, it's, way, yeah. I just wanted to let you know personally that there are very deeply personal connections to the things that you create and that they matter. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, uh, people have come up to me. Some of them have said that uh, uh, a game I've worked on has actually saved their life because they were mm. depressed at the time or has helped them, like like it's helped you. Or 
I know that uh, after I made Dorian, uh, I had a lot of people come up and say that uh, he helped them come out to their parents and things like that. And it's always really gratifying to hear. But I will, I will certainly take the thank you. And, and <laughs> I, really, pass it I, on. I really appreciate hearing it. I mean, I really appreciate knowing that, that uh, it's helped somebody. It's, 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 uh, it's really special to know that. So thank you. Thank you for, for making this effort. Thank you. Special thanks to the incomparable Mariana Miller for being so brave and bold and for sharing her very personal story with us. Thank you, Mariana. Again, Mariana is a voice actor, a producer, and a very talented writer. If you'd like to reach Mariana to talk about any of these things or to tell her your story, she has given me permission to share her email address with you. It is, believe it or not, not.gilligan.com at gmail.com. If you've been assaulted or if you just need someone to talk to, Mariana wants you to go to rain with two ends.org. They have a sexual assault hotline and it's free and confidential. The number is 800-656-4673. 800-656-HOPE. Again, rain.org. Special thanks also to the legendary David Gator. David Gator has launched a new studio called Summerfall Studios. It's a studio that specializes in character and narrative-driven game development. Go to summerfallstudios.com to find out more. Thanks also to our Patreon subscribers. We've got some new ones this week, including Josh Moore, Chris Ladder, Colleen Clark, Colin Gibson, and JB Blaze. Thank you so much for helping us out. Heavily Pixelated is an independent podcast. We do a lot with a little. And if you'd like to be part of our Patreon, and I'm telling you, we've got some really good stuff there, including a, a terrific outtake from this episode that we just didn't have time for, go to patreon.com backslash heavily pixelated. Music in this week's episode includes lots of tracks from Blue Dot Sessions, including Round Pine Textile, Low Coal Camper, Arbic Tallow, Flashing Runner, Arctic Draba, all from Blue Dot Sessions. Go to sessions.blue to find out more. Other tracks include Under and Ending Sun by Krakatoa, Upbeat by John Luke Hefferman, and Green Fields by Scott Holmes. Thanks also to BioWare in Edmonton, Alberta, and EA Games. Sarah Deakins is the producer of Heavily Pixelated. Steven Nikolic is the technical producer. I'll be back in two weeks with another episode of Heavily Pixelated. I'm Scott C. Jones, and I'll see you then.